Hello, it's Dilip Ram and a big welcome to the Dilip Ram All-Rounder podcast. I thought I might give you a quick overview of the podcast so you know what it's all about and this will just be for episode one. Well, this one comes from years and years of watching sport and honestly, not much else. I want this podcast to be about re-watching and reminiscing about some of the greatest memories and moments in sporting history because who doesn't love to reminisce? It's all I do. We'll talk famous cricket, rugby, football, tennis, basketball, and general athletic events. We'll talk Border Gavaskar, the Leicester Premiership, the 2000 Olympics. Could you believe that? Did you even remember that we had the Olympics? I don't want to just summarize the event or the match. With my guest, I want to take you back there. And each episode would look at the context, the atmosphere, the highlights, and the lowlights. My hope is that there will be a guest for each episode, people that are very close to me and also love sport. So please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, download each episode multiple times, please, because you know that obviously helps the numbers. And I should flag that I'm currently the sole producer and definitely learning the ropes on this. So there are going to be some audio issues, minor I hope, but please bear with me as I find my feet and I'll keep delivering content that you want to listen to. So if you love sport, if you love listening to people talk about sport, or if you just love, you know, doing something with your time and listening to a podcast, then this is the podcast for you. The Dilip Ram All-Rounder Podcast. See you soon. Welcome to the Dilip Ram All-Rounder Podcast. It is the 4th of August and we are taping at, I think it's around 8.30 p.m. on a Friday night. Now, who better to talk about cricket? I'm bringing on Siddharth Shankaran, aka Sid, or the juggernaut. Sid, welcome. Nice to be here. Tell me, we go back a few years, so just for the, you know, some context and for the audience, I think we met when we were three or four years old, is that right? Yep, 92, 93-ish, I'm assuming. I have no memories of when I first met you, but I'm told from lots of stories that, you know, we met at childcare and you just loved me, so... Well, the story I, I heard is that <laughs> for some reason you were coming to childcare at CSIRO and you had no business being there, your parents didn't work there. And you still were there and we became, the, well, two of the three brown people there and became great <laughs> friends after that. So Sid, am I right? Cricket is your favorite sport? Yeah, definitely. Okay, very good. And I don't think I've asked you this before, but if you could have been a superstar athlete in one sport, would it have been cricket or would it have been something else? Well, I'd probably pick baseball just because baseball. the amount of money that these guys get paid for, I don't know, not as much Pain seems ludicrous to me. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, there is way more money in baseball. Um, and then who's the GOAT? Has to be Don Bradman. I love it. I love it. For all you LeBron fans out there, just remember there's actually a real GOAT. He's Don Bradman. Okay. The 2001 Border Gavaska series, I, it's hard to describe it um, because I was in 
year five, had just started a new school. I'm pretty sure you were in year six in a school nearby. I suppose when Australia came to India in 2001, they were probably coming as, I would say the strongest, one of the strongest touring teams of all time. They were a team that were coming off the back of, was it 14 or 15 test wins in a row? And I think they viewed India not as the strongest team, but as probably the strongest team to beat away from home. I think my dad had just brought Foxtel, particularly for this series. And I knew that if I had Foxtel, it meant I could call you and you'd have to come over probably every second day just to watch the cricket. And it was perfect timing because Indian cricket would start around 2 or 3 p.m. I suppose the where they played wasn't important. So ultimately, we know they played Mumbai, Calcutta and Chennai. And so we were in a sort of time where test cricket was king. That meant that you would get full crowds because obviously there was no other distractions. There wasn't any IPL. There wasn't 2020. One day cricket was still quite popular or probably was just as popular, but people were still interested in test cricket. That first test was a lot closer than people are giving it credit for. Yep. So Kumble just before the series got an injury and all the pressure was on Harbhajan. I think he played four test matches or so, had some attitude problems and he was told, here's the kings to the kingdom, you're the number one spinner, this is your series. One thing we have, to, and we can get into this, one thing we have to give credit for is he didn't score with the bat, but Ganguly had a knack for picking some real talent. Budgie was a good example because I think he was an off spinner that could have just been regarded or discarded as a Indian Ranji Trophy bowler. But Ganguly said, no, I want him in the Indian team. And it paid off. I think even in that first test, he only took four wickets, but he showed that he was, he deserved to be there. Yep. And so that first test, it, it started off as exciting. And then it got more exciting when Australia was 99 for five. But then that excitement turned to probably some real disappointment when Australia's partnership made it count. They sort of built a 250-run lead. And I think you could say, well, now we could say after we've seen VVS Lakshman do that in the second test that it's still possible. But I think back then we thought the game was over. Yeah, I think back then there was always this feeling that Australia was just this team that no matter how many wickets you got, they would always make a comeback. Like there was the match against Pakistan, I think in 99-2000 series where... I think it was in Hobart, where it was Langer and Gilly had that amazing partnership to win the game. And you just knew that this was before, like everyone had talked about Gilly is going to revolutionize how a <laughs> wicketkeeper plays, how a wicketkeeper bats and all of that stuff. But you still just knew that it wasn't over. Even when they were five for 99, this wasn't over. And India's bowling attack, it wasn't like all these world beaters at the time, at least. So you just knew that okay, we need to get them out. It didn't happen and Australia built a massive lead. I think it deserves a bit more context in terms of who we were when we were watching this. So we are obviously, Sid and I are both Australian, like people born, you were born in Australia too or were you in India? I was born in Townsville. Yeah, Townsville. That's why he's a Queensland supporter. And I was born in New South Wales. So we're both Australians with Indian backgrounds. But In terms of context, the Australian team back in the 90s and early 2000s, probably the most dominant team of all time. They played the game in a very aggressive manner that did not embrace 
the wider public outside of the hardcore Australian cricket community. And just the the cricket culture was very much like we it's our way will win no matter what uh, and the end justified the means. And so for a lot of us sort of growing up who we might have supported Australia in a lot of other sports where, uh, where the culture was slightly different, but cricket back then was very much like you either support Australia or you just wanted them to lose against anyone. Then we go to Kolkata. It's Eden Gardens, full crowd, 110,000. And I suppose that's probably the test that people might say is probably one of the greatest tests of all time. But I would say if you watch it, like an Indian test where you've got teams scoring 400, 600, like what's a thrilling test to you? These days for me, for a thrilling test, I enjoy wickets. But at the time, back then, I was into batting. Like I want to see people scoring big hundreds. I want to see attrition. I want to see people working for their runs then. And you could really see it. I think the match and going to India and you hear all these stories about like Dean Jones batting, throwing up on the pitch, losing five kilos. You can actually see all these guys in the second innings, Lakshman driver, they're coming out with these ice vests on. It's difficult. And that was what test cricket was meant to be about. It was not meant to be easy. It wasn't meant to be anyone could do this. You're watching these supermen go out there and play this game in abnormal conditions with a lot of pressure on them. And that made it so thrilling to watch. That second test, India's coming off a pretty comprehensive loss. They turn turn it around. They drop Agaka. They drop Rahul Sangvi, who's, you know, God knows. Did he ever play another test? Probably not. Probably not. Was he a left armor? Was he? Oh, he might have been. Because I remember he took, he got Mark War. Or no, he got Steve War out at slip. Um, in the first te- in the first innings, and I just remember thinking, "Oh, we're in with a shot here." Sangers has taken a <laughs> Sangers has taken a wicket, but um, he took that and then did God knows what else um, for the rest of the for the rest of that Test match. Um, and I'm pretty sure he didn't play another Test. Happy to be corrected if he did. Is he related to the dude in the Big Bash? Is there another? Oh, you're thinking Gurinder Sandhu? No, isn't there like Tanvir Sangvi or is, is that a that- spinner? There might be, but it's what you reckon is his father? Maybe. <laughs> Rahul, I'm your father. Or, um, well, so yeah, so Sangvi's basically thrown into the can. Um, the, you know, the Indian team basically goes with Ganguly at first change yep. with the ball, yep. which, you know, tells you all you need to know. If you look at his stats for the final series, he didn't score runs and he didn't take wickets, but... Some there, I think there were some articles out there saying he should have been man of the series for his captaincy. Um, I think those articles were written by you back then. <laughs> I was a big, big, big Kanguli fan. Um, we'll get into the Nagmas, we'll go, sorry, we'll get into the allegations of why he actually didn't play, why he didn't play well. I and, think, yeah, like you put it into context, there's still only four test matches out of a thousand five hundred odd or so where a team has won after following on. and. We had New Zealand recently do it against England, but before that, all three of them were against Australia, which shows you A, how strong Australia were, but B, just how rare it was as well. Yeah, no, exactly. And that test, it's got to be remembered for the partnership between Dravid and Lakshman. Did you think Lakshman had that in him? Well, I'd watched the Sydney match on like replay, I remember, and 
back then, this guy was a wizard. He was really different to like, for example, Sachin was the guy everyone had heard of. Sachin had this massive heavy bat, super high backlift and was just amazing at hitting the ball in the V. Lakshman just had wrists that were so flexible. Like even then you could just see that he had this way of hitting the ball that no one else really did. And it's a bit more common these days, but he was just able to flick these deliveries from way outside off stump into the leg side. So did I think he had it in him back then? Definitely not. I was a kid back then and I'm like, Sachin's out. There's nothing here ever done. He made his name obviously in 99 when the Indian team got dropped in Australia. They lost 3-0. Not one test was competitive. Maybe the first day of Adelaide, they had Australia 4 for 54. That's it. That was the only time there was any competition in that series. But Lakshman scores 167 at the SCG. In the third test, he gets a standing ovation. And I think the public knew, and I'm pretty sure the Australians knew, that he was probably their second best bat. Yep. He was opening then in the Sydney match, wasn't he? He did. He and did it was like something ludicrous, like 167 out of 250 odd. It was a really, really large proportion of the team's runs. I mean, hot seat question is, is Lakshman better than Azara then? I mean, we don't have to answer that right now, but they're both very similar players in terms of stylish. I didn't get to see Azara then bat as much because he was sort of a king of the late 80s during the 90s. But it's a question I think I want to take on notice with you because, you know, I would say Lakshman's better because he scored against the better countries. There might be a lot of Indian fans out there that want to say that's not correct. And, you know, I'm, I probably need to study that. I probably need to study that a bit more. I think with him, there's always going to be that asterisk that how many of those, how many runs did he score? and obliques? Or? Yeah. <laughs> An asterisk saying that is his average, should it have been much higher for him or? Uh, I mean, he did play. So Azaruddin did play 99 tests. And so it's one of those where it's like the Bradman 99 average. You see someone in the stats and they play 99. You're like, how the hell won? You just play 100, but we all know why. Yeah. So coming back to that, I think... That second test, we didn't think Lakshman had it. I didn't think Dravid had it. Scoring that 180, I think the, the, the big decision was, and people will forget this, is that Lakshman came in in the, second, in the first innings at four down, but in the second innings, he came at one first drop. And I think that was key yeah. because he was probably the mo- batsman most in form. I think the story, the legend is that after the first innings where he got a, got a, scored a nice 50 got out, I think, sweeping and the ball hitting his forearm and him looking a bit upset about it. Went back to the change room. By the time they were told to follow on, he hadn't even changed or anything. First week was fallen. He was like, I'm ready to go. Just went straight back out there. You got to give him credit for that. I mean, and so, I mean, in the first innings, Budgie took, I'm saying, calling Budgie, we know Tarbajan seeing seven for 123. And in that second innings, he also, I think he took, might've been four oh. or, no, he took six. He oh, took wow. six. Ten, Tenduka took three. Uh, three LBWs as well. He, <laughs> Tenduka got three LBWs. And nowadays we complain about Stokes. We complain about all these captains when they declare with maybe only 100 overs to bowl. They, you know, we say, oh, you only left Australia 120 overs. Why didn't you declare with 100, two and a half days left so you could have, you know, you had enough time to bowl? Well, people are not going to remember that India was batting an hour in to day five. Yep. And I didn't blink an eye. I, I, 
I felt as if India needed to bat an hour because I thought this Australian team, if you give them one day and they're chasing 360, they would chase that. Yeah. And even then, I think, what, 380, they had to score in 70-something overs. You just thought, that's not ridiculous. Like, this is before people were scoring 400 in one dayers, but that was that Australian team. And you didn't know. Gilly could come in and score 150 of 100 deliveries and India would look like fools. So every time they just pan to Ganguly sitting there biting his nails and the commentators being like, why is he not declaring? <laughs> I was just saying to my head, well, we don't want to lose this match. We can't lose this match after how amazing it's been. But that's the thing as well, though. Australia not maybe weren't in a chance to score it, but they were only two or three down, I think, at tea time. So they were. They were actually looking like they would play up for the draw quite easily at one stage. It wasn't like the pitch was demonic by any like by any means. Look, it's going. It's a long time ago. Um, you know, it's twenty years on, more than twenty years, and so I can't tell you how I was feeling at tea time, but I just remember not feeling like it was going to be a draw there was just something there and i think i have i think a large part of that was the crowd the 110,000 people there and so every ball there's this sound there's this vibration there's there's this sense that something's going to happen and i think the team fed off that yep i think hydrogen fed off that um and so one of the most famous wins it takes a one all we go to mumbai I won't give you the whole recap, but I will say that Mumbai probably there were two players that 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 really shone through. Um, you had Hayden on one side. Hayden's an interesting character because he actually had joined or came into the Australian team in the early '90s. You know, he was a product of the Queensland cricket system. Big, broad, left-handed batsman came up through the Jimmy Ma, Martin Love. I think Martin Love was Queensland, yep. but came up Stuart through the Law. Stuart Law. So the Queensland team, you know, the dominant team, Hayden comes through, he joins the team, he plays against the West Indies in 92-93, gets sorted by Ambrose in Australia. That's no, you know, that's fine. It's curtly bloody Ambrose, averaged 20.99 with the ball. Jeez. But he then felt left, got left out of the team for six, seven years, similar to Damian Martin comes back in and around that 2000 period because he didn't play against India in 99. Did you, yeah. did you read about how he prepared for the series? Tell me. I think he literally just roughed up the pitch just on his leg stump or so and just had spinners just bowling and he just swept and swept and swept. I think you said three or four days consistently just kept sweeping. I love those stories because it justifies what happens. Yeah. Like you. It's, it's almost like the story when um, people go, oh, what did Bradman do? Yeah. And they say, oh, Bradman took that stump. He took middle stump and would practice six hours against the wall. Yeah. And then you say, oh, I need to do that. But, because- what but they don't say like, what if Hayden came out here and had a stinger <laughs> of a series? You're not going to have this amazing story. It's like, you know how much he prepared for this? Oh, it was actually not. You're going to say rack it. off. No, like nobody cares what, what he actually did. So yeah, that third test really commemorated by an Indian team that went in with a lot of spin. They basically had Zahir Ganguly opened with Zahir bowled a couple of overs of military medium, created nothing. And then they went in with a team of Kulkarni, Bahatule, Bahatule um, and Bajji. And 
Australia went in with Warren and Colin Funky Miller yep. with, I think it was Dizzy and McGrath. I think this was like the like stereotypical Indian performance back then in at home at least where you'd have to bat your first things had to be big. If you were scoring less than 500, 600, the third and fourth innings was just really going to be not chasing much. Like it was going to be difficult. Agree. It's one of those things with Indian pitchers. It's you, you never see on in the stats where an Indian team scores more in the second innings than in the first. But for some reason, every time, like, I, I don't know, sometimes I, you know, I'm a bit of a loser. I'll go on Cricket Info and look at like matches in New Zealand from 2007 or 1998 or when Stephen Fleming was captain. And you'd see like it'd be well, they play at the Basin Reserve. Fleming would, New Zealand team would score 102 all out or 67 all out in the first <laughs> innings. And then for some reason, it's like six for 452 in the, in the second innings. It makes no sense. But I think that's the beauty of cricket that in some countries and some pitches, the pitches actually get better for batting. Yep. But if you come to India, it just, yeah, it's it just got, went way downhill. Yeah. So that third test, Ganguly again, uh, led, you know, led with his mind, um, not with his bat. Um, they, with thanks to Tendulkar, who scored a beautiful century yeah. in that first innings, India had a lead and basically needed to chase 155. They made a bit of a meal of it. But they ultimately got through and it concluded the test aspect of that series. But probably, you know, at the end when they asked Ganguly about, you know, how he enjoyed it is, I think the only word he said was absolutely. Um, but he said that about 65 times. Everyone was everyone was coming to hug Ganguly. I think it was Samir Dige hit the winning. Not, was it no, Samir Dige? Budgie hit the winning runs, actually. Budgie. <sighs> he was batting with Dige. And I think everyone said it was just, it was just karma, like... He had had this amazing series. He had 15 wickets in the match and hitting the winning runs. He legitimately looked like he had no idea how to hold a bat. Yes. Unfortunately, a lot of people might remember Budgie for slapping Srisanth. But <laughs> the, if, you, if you look past that, he's known for this series. And it is sort of, it's the biggest accomplishment that he actually scored the winning runs. Shouldn't we like him for slapping Srisanth? Didn't Srisanth yeah, match fix or something? He did. And um, as a result of the slap, Srisanth became a bodybuilder. Really? You look, Google, for the any audiences listening, my mum and my dad, um, who are probably are the only listeners for this episode, um, if you Google Srisanth now, he looks very different. How's his physique compared to Shulman Gill's? <laughs> Srisanth's like, no, Srisanth's jacked. Oh. Like, Shulman Gill is lean. Yeah. Srisanth's yoked. He's, oh. on, he's on some stuff. Yep. Um, no, but that's only, uh, you know, that's my view. Uh, he may not be. He might, it's clean eating and just good diet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that was the conclusion of that series. I mean, they did play five one days. I mean, who cares? India did lose the one day series three two. It was actually a great one day series. I remember. But do they? Is the one day series part of Border Gavaskar? Is it just tests? Just the tests. So what is the one day series like? Ganguly Ponting series or something? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it should be renamed that now at least. Well. It should be called something um, because you need a way to commemorate a one-day series. And that was actually a 3-2 one-day series. I'm pretty sure Heman Badani played well in that one-day series. That is a blast from the past. But um, yeah, so we had a great one-day series, but the test series probably, you put it up there, um, you know, one of the best test series of all time. Um, and so I, I think with that, we should probably take a quick break and come back with our top five rewatchable moments. It, 
and then maybe go through some of the categories. What do you say? Sounds good. Very good. All right, we're back. Um, next segment, I want to go through the top five rewatchable moments of the series. I had for top five, the first has to be Budgie's hat trick. You'd say it was, it was a hat trick that he took in the second test. It was the first, was it first innings? First innings. Yep. And so it was a hat trick where he, I think he got Warren. He got, who else did he get? In- so he got Ponting, Gilly and Warren. The Ponting one, I believe was a. Was that his like third duck of the series or something? Something like that. The Gilly ball it pitched outside leg stump would be pretty generous. It did not look anywhere near out. Gilly looked like he got a massive inside edge. It was first ball, obviously. And then it, the Shane Warne one. But Budgie was bowling over the over wicket, the right? Wicket, yep. So theoretically, there's no chance he should get Gilly no, LB. Unless not. he's bowling Dulceras. And he didn't have the Dulcera at that point. Oh, chucking Dulceras, but yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you bowl a Dulcera without chucking? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe embrace debate. Yeah, but right. um, the Warne the Warn dismissal... I think we all remember it's famous because, you know, Tony Gregg initially thought it was out, then looks at three replays and forms a view like all of us that there's no chance that yep. it, it's three bounces before it hits. Um, was it SS Das who catches it? He was at short leg. Go up, celebrate, and then Tony Gregg says, oh, it's bounced, and then the red light goes on, and he's he said, you know, oh, Hawkeyes jumped the gun. Yep. And... <laughs> It's uh, It was a beautiful moment. We weren't complaining because you don't get to see a hat trick that often. I think it almost kind of got overshadowed by what happened afterwards that people just don't even remember that there was this hat trick in the first innings. I think people try, well, I think people will remember it as Budgie took a hat trick and they won the test. Like yeah. as if it was in the second innings as win, to win the test. We're actually getting dominated at the point when he yeah. took the hat trick. But so that's got to be one of the rewatchable moments. Um, I mean, second for me, it's probably in it. It could be the number one, but two eighty one. You can't go past it when it's at the time it was the highest Indian score, and actually by a long margin. That's one thing that really surprises me is that in two thousand, India India has a long history of Test cricket. You know, we have some of the great cricket. Tendulkar had already made his debut in the eighties, so he, you know he'd been playing for a while. Gavaska had played, Dilip Vansaka. You had a lot of great Indian cricketers, Gundapa Vishwanath. Were you surprised when the stat, when the screen came up and it said that when Lakshman was on 236, he had equaled the highest Indian score? I think for me, it was just like, I'd seen 300s before. I think I'd heard that Brian Lara had scored 375. I'd heard he had scored 501 in a first-class game. So to me, it was just surprising, as you said, that no Indian batter had ever scored more than 300. And then to see was like 236, like that is not this mammoth score. And India is meant to have all these roads that they bat on. So it was just really astonishing. Agree. I mean, we're talking about um, previous test series in India where they would play six tests against Pakistan and it'd be zero, zero. And you've got to think that, one of those tests, someone had scored like 320 or something. So I was shocked when um, I read or when it came on the screen that he was going to be the highest Indian scorer. But I think it was great because it just showed what sort of innings he played. 281 to be the highest Indian, highest score ever. 
it's ironic that Dravid on 180 was just 56 runs from the highest. Yeah. Like if had had Lakshman not scored the 281. So yeah. I think that's amazing. I think for me as well, like I used to be a real stats nerd. I still probably am. I had this copy of Wisdom Asia's magazine. I think it came out in 2007 or so. And it ranked like using some statistical measures, the 50 greatest Indian innings. And obviously Lakshman's innings was number one. What was two? Uh, two, I think, was Dravid's 233 in oh, Adelaide. Adelaide, yeah. Actually, I that's the thing. I can remember this list so vividly. I've still got the magazine. Three was like Vishwanath scored. Oh, that was, that was the one where he didn't score 100, right? No, he scored 97. 97, yeah. And apparently they had three fielders in <laughs> yeah. the third man point region and was still just scoring fours there. You know, we both didn't watch that 97. I think he had this amazing stat. Anytime he scored a might have been a 50 or it might have been a 100, I don't remember. India never lost the match. And considering India's team back then was not always the greatest, it was a pretty cool stat. Yeah, let's give a shout out to Gundapa Vishwanath. Um, he, I don't hear his name in in the commentary box ever. And I think commentators need to start taking notice of Gundapa Vishwanath. Gundapa in Tamil actually means big boy. So... <laughs> I don't know if he was a big boy, but um, let's give him a shout out. And I think as well, the other one was in 2002, there was the Wisdom 100 list to celebrate 100 years of Wisdom. And Lakshman's innings was considered the sixth greatest innings of all time. Was Botham's 149? I think that that was number four or something. What was one? Uh, Well, I think it was Bradman scored some like 100 and... Wow. Something. Brian Lara's 153 chasing was there. Yeah, Antigua. Yeah, Antigua. Azam Mood had an innings on there. My goodness. Yeah, okay. some amazing knocks on there. Okay. Um, so number three for me, okay, this is controversial because I've just been telling you that his umpiring was not, it was not outrageous, but I think the series is remembered by some, at least from non-Indian fans, it's remembered for some shoddy umpiring. And so Bansal for me is a rewatchable moment just because it wasn't like we know Billy Bowden we know his finger, how he how he gives a dismissal. Bansal didn't have anything unique about how he'd give it, but it was the whole act. It was as the tension rose and Bansal would give these LBWs where his hand would shoot straight up and he would he would take two steps down the wicket. And it was almost like he was pointing to the batsman and saying, get the hell off the field. We've got a test match to win. And, you know, every decision in that test went our way. We felt pure joy. I felt confident any time it hit the pad. It was the first time I felt like that for India. And so, you know, I've heard stories, Sid, of like my dad would tell me India would come to Australia in the 80s and couldn't get an LBW. So it was... I think it was just implied that the home team would be getting a bit of a an advantage from the umpires, I think. 100%, 100%. One of the... Pakistani guys, I think it's Hanif Muhammad or or maybe it was Jared Meandad actually. Jara Vegemite. Was never given LBW in a home test match. <laughs> like, as you said, the Glenn McGrath one, the ball before, <laughs> I feel was completely It was out. close. It was close. People don't remember that. They're oh. not, not going to give Bansal credit for not giving that one out. And boy, could he have given that out because they had four overs to play. And, you know, any, any chance you've got to give it. And some of the other ones, I remember the Sachin massive wrong end. Like Sachin, for his credit, was a pretty unique bowler. He bowled a bit of medium pace. He bowled some off spin at times. He bowled some leg spin. 
He bowled this delivery to Warren, pitched outside off stump with a leg spinner's action, and it turned like an off break. And I remember, I think it was Tony Gregg might have said, if anyone was going to pick it, it would be Warney. He Not didn't that, pick it. He didn't pick it at all. It was pretty plum in my opinion. But it was just this, some of them, like there is all this thing that our oh, home umpires are going to give that. Some of these were legitimately just out. Uh, the Warren one was plum. Yeah. But you raise a point. Can we give some credit? Big shout out to Sachin. Okay. You look at his stats. He's not known for his bowling, but he was a damn good leg spinner. Yeah. I remember like the whole thing and was that Ganguly goes to him, hands him the ball and just motion says one over. And he said, like Sachin, you've got one over to make something happen. Sachin got a wicket and then you ride the hot hand. He got three LBWs, turned the match. And that was all after T. All after T. We needed seven wickets. Yep. I'm saying we. We were we were big Indian fans. Yep. So seven wickets, Tenduka took three. But no, he's not. He wasn't the most rewatchable. It was Bansal for number three. Yep. For me, number four said, look, let's give him credit. It's probably an accumulation of uh, a rewatchable because of everything he did that series. But Hayden's 201 yep. in Mumbai. I think the I think the thing about Hayden that just like always surprised me is against the spinners and stuff, he didn't dance down the pitch. Like you think about some of the Aussie greats against spin, like Michael Clark, and he was so light on his feet getting down to the pitch of the ball. Hayden literally would just one two step and just pummel the ball over deep mid on or it was an amazing series. And so I had one more for top five i'd be interested if you had any others that i forgot but this is a weird one so it it's actually not on the field but it's the reaction when india took the final wicket in at the eden gardens if you go on youtube or if you someone has a vcr video recording of that series just watch the final wicket and watch the replay of the security guards security and guard, the fans yeah. watching the game and basically standing up in unison at the same time Everyone hugging each other. Nobody with a care in the world. There are no distractions. There's no one taking a phone and sort of making a recording. Their eyes were glued on the match. And I thought that was probably one of the most perfect iconic moments. There were no distractions and people's eyes were on the field. And even the security guards whose concern should be about people running onto the field. In that moment, he had just had a moment of just sheer joy. I think back then pitch invasions were post- the end of the match were just standard. And the fact that you had this big fence in front of it, of the crowd, but then even then, no one even thought of going on the pitch. It was just this relief almost that we had won the match or that Indian cricket had somehow prevailed. And just seeing even the security guard, this guy dressed in like an army uniform, celebrating with all the crowd. I remember that image really, really well. So they're sort of my rewatcher. Did you have, did, have I forgotten any? I had two and one of them again is not really a moment per se, but for me it was India's fielding. And I've always, we've always grown up with this thing that India only became decent at fielding when Yuvraj Singh and Mohammed Kaif joined the team. Yeah. I just remember like Ganguly took this really amazing catch at short, uh, I think short. Was it back pad? Yeah, bat pad. Yeah. Um, Ramesh took some good catches. Zahir Khan took this amazing catch off Hayden on the sweep where he ran in and had to dive. And I was just like, 
oh my God, India can actually field like decently. Like <laughs> when the ball would go in the air, I was actually somewhat confident that we were going to catch it. I did not expect you to say Indian fielding, but when I think about it, you're not wrong. Yeah. The, the, the close in fielding was great. Yeah. And like one of the other things is Nan Mongia, India's keeper, first match. For the, for the first two. For was the that? first two yeah. matches before Samir Dege came in. But he got injured, I think, in the second match. So Dravid's actually keeping wicket there. And this was pretty early and does a pretty good job there. Not that he got any wickets or any like catches, but India just had this mentality that we previously, like, I think the star batsmen and stuff thought fielding's a bit beneath them. But it just really didn't feel like that. You had like India's captain Ganguly fielding at bat pad and taking amazing screamers. And it was just like, wow, this is really refreshing to see. Okay. Any others? Um, the second one I had was uh, Steve Waugh handling the ball in the third test match. And for me, I guess it's just a, it was weird to see because you just don't see this dismissal very often. It was, I think... It was budgie bowling. It looked like an LBW, so it was a sweep shot there. The ball just ballooned up. They appealed, didn't they? They appealed for the LBW, and I think Steve Wall was just a bit distracted, and then just paddles the ball away with his hand, and then everyone just looks a bit awkwardly at each other. And I don't know, given all this spirit of cricket nonsense that's been going on at the <laughs> moment about Bairstow and Kerry, I, it was very different than where, like, even Steve Wall just put his bat under his arm and just walked off like he knew that what he did was wrong and he's out you're right and I think it was a dismissal that even the Indian bowlers or in the Indian fielders had they looked at the umpire and said what are you going to do yeah is that actually out and so it was funny that Steve War touched the ball the umpire basically said, yeah, mate, you got to go off. And there was no complaint. So it was sort of like, you know, it was an admission that he knew what he'd done was wrong, but he just sort of froze in the moment. No, that's a good one. I'll give you credit for that one. So what I want to do now is I want to go through a couple of segments and categories. Um, we can go through these in sort of rapid fire, but let's go to the segment. So the first segment or the first category, I want to call it hot seat. And this is going to be a category that I use for a lot of my um, episodes down the track, but it's basically to say, who came in with a lot of pressure? I have a, I have a name. Um, for me, I thought it was Dada Sarav Ganguly. He had a little bit going on in his private life at the time. There was some talk, or at least in the media, there was some talk that, you know, his personal life wasn't perfect at the time, and the Australians had caught wind of that. I think he was probably for me when I think of that series. Yes, I give him credit for the captaincy but he didn't score anything with the bat. I think he scored 110 odd runs in the series across six innings. So it didn't matter though, because his captaincy is what, like his belief in the players still meant that he had this knack that it didn't matter how badly he batted because he was still going to do something. Are you of the uh, Mike Brearley, famously, I think a lot of English journalists will call him the greatest captain. I mean, it's a bit of Roddy, Captain 10 test, one eight. And then everyone's talking about, you know, he needs to give lectures about how to captain. But it's your sort of view on captaincy. I think captaincy has to be a bit more than luck because you look at it, like people said, like Michael Clark, this guy's the greatest captain Australia's had, Warney, this guy's an amazing tactical brain. But 
then you put it like that and you say Warney, he didn't he was never a full time captain for Australia. He's one of the greatest minds there. So was it his fault that he wasn't a captain? Maybe, but I think it's a bit of both. But I think eighty twenty seems a bit much towards luck. Okay. So but so but you're saying uh, look, I kind of agree. Ganguly did captain very well to, um, you know, for India to win the series because he, if not for Ganguly, I don't know if Harbhajan's playing. I don't know if uh, S, uh, Samir Dige's playing. And I don't know if Lakshman stays in the team as long as he did. Yep. So I think, I think I'm think i putting him on the hot seat purely from a batting perspective. Did you have anyone on the hot seat? For this one, I had um, actually Tendulkar, and I've kind of already talked about Tendulkar for me. Every time India played, he's on the hot seat. He's all the pressure of the world on him. But this series was just extra because Bradman had actually passed away just before the series started. And pretty famously, there was this um, piece that Bradman was watching Sachin bat, I think in the late 90s, and he said to his wife, this boy reminds me of how I used to bat. And there was this really just good connection between the two. I think when uh, Sachin had come to Australia, he met Bradman. They got along really well. They talked about batting. So there was this connection there. And people called him. He was the modern-day Bradman. So there was just this extra thing that Bradman's passed away. Who's calling him the modern-day Bradman, though? Is it like, is it? Probably the Indian media. <laughs> Final one, I, would, I forgot to mention him. I think Warren was on the hot seat and I say one on the hot seat because uh he historically he he didn't bowl he he didn't bowl well yeah he hadn't done it in India yeah so he he didn't bowl well he averaged 50 with the ball he did take a couple of wickets but he yeah he wasn't great um the the next sort of segment or award I want to give out it's I look I'm calling it the TIAC award and it's a terminology that I use a lot now when I play golf if I play a bad shot I say that was trash in a can and now I'm not saying that's you know I'm not a wordsmith but when I say TIAC I'm saying trash in a can I mean who really stunk up the joint in this event in this series who stunk up the joint I think we have a few Sid I'm surprised we didn't mention him once when we were going through the three tests, but Panaponti. 17 runs and six innings. You can just see that he had a shocker, but it wasn't even an outlier for his performances in India. I think he never actually performed in India. And for me, like... Pana- it's a blight on his CV. Exactly. For me... It's that, you know, when you do your, when you go to an interview... And you failed a university subject. And that's the first thing they look at. (laughs) And they say, oh, you got, oh, your marks are good. And think, can you just explain that term, you know, semester three, you got a 48. Like this is his mark. would be nice compared (laughs) to how he batted in India, to be honest. But like for me, like maybe a bit of a tangent here, but Ponting, if he had succeeded in India, I think he has a, a big shout to be Australia's second greatest batsman of all time. Yeah. But... For me, like Smudge is just better. Smudge has come to India. He did really well. He's done really well all over the world. For me, Ponting is always going to have this kind of thing hanging over him that he just never could bat well in India. He, no, you're right. And it's ironic when um, when India won, when Australia won in 2004. He didn't um, play. He didn't, like he played the last test and yep. they lost. Yep. And so it's just ironic that 
it's unfortunate, I would say, that, you know, it probably had he played in those first three tests, they might have still won. But it's just ironic that, you know, he didn't have that success on Indian soil. So I think a lot of Indian fans or a lot of Indian cricket fans, of which there are a lot, probably the bulk of cricket fans all over the world, will always say when they're viewing Ponting against the likes of Tendulkar, will say, well, you didn't score in India. And so punter um i was i mean was there anyone else can you was anyone else uh, uh, let's say i don't want to say trash because it's a bit mean if um you know if ultimately this podcast becomes big and big people listen to it and they say i wasn't trash like you know <laughs> who are you talking you didn't even play cricket at the highest level but we're just saying it sort of in a joking manner yep i mean anyone else at a tiac award if you exclude the first match which is obviously 33 percent of the series uh gilly for me so scores 124 runs with a high score of 122. King Pear. Serious? Yeah. <laughs> King Pear in the second test match. Um, so out both uh, both innings first delivery. And just more for me that Gilly's always remembered as this gentleman. He's the guy that walked. There are at least two dismissals, I think maybe three, where there is very obvious dissent. And everyone's like, oh my God, Gilly, like the gentleman, like he's always going to be remembered as the guy who walked. For me, it's maybe not personally just on his uh, just on his batting performances, but that gentleman image was a bit ruined for me, just about the kind of way he carried on with some of his dismissals. Okay, I get you, but I'm going to push back because I think the walking happened from 2003 onwards. Yep. The first time I saw Gilly walk was the... It was against Sri Lanka, I think in the one day in the semifinal. Everyone was like, what the hell? Why is he walking? And he walked for some reason. And I think in 2001, he was still a newbie trying to make his name. And he, I don't, I, I'd never formed that view that he was going to be a walker in 2001. But let's be fair. I mean, some of his dismissals, they weren't caught behinds. They were LBWs where he's sort of thinking, what the hell? Why am I being given for that? But no, I'll give you, you know. Though with Gilly, that like kind of was important there is he had never lost a test match. So Australia had won oh, 16 in fair a point, row. fair shout, yeah. He didn't play the first one in that. Healy was the keeper, but he'd won his first 15 test matches. He's probably thinking this, this test match stuff is pretty easy. This award, I don't have a good name for it. I'm currently calling it the Brad Hodge. Um, I might change it, but it's to suggest... Was there anyone who was a one-hit wonder? Because as we know, Brad Hodge scores a double ton against South Africa. And so for me, if I think of one-hit wonders, there weren't that many. But I think a lot of credit should be given to Sami Udige. Yep. Because Sami Udige comes into the third test, Nayan Mongia's out. I'm pretty sure he was injured because I don't think he would have been dropped. And he scored... He didn't score the winning runs, but he came in. India needed around 15 runs. And when you got two wickets to go, Indian tail, you're not feeling confident. And he took India home. I think he kept well in the match and he managed to, I don't know, just shepherd India home in that match. And I don't know. I reckon if you went on his Ranji Trophy page, he, he probably averaged 70 or something ludicrous in first you reckon, match. You reckon 70? Uh, he didn't look like a 70. Uh, uh, <laughs> back then, everyone averaged 70, I'm pretty sure. But he didn't look like... He 
he no, was a mug with the he, bat. He didn't means. look like a 70. Yeah. You, 70? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so maybe, maybe like 30, 40, but he yeah. didn't look a mug with the bat. No, no. Um, but I didn't have anyone else. So I'm not sure if you did. I thought that the Indian openers did fairly well. Ramesh and probably not a one-hit wonder in the sense that they had an amazing series or anything like that. So there wasn't anything that really stood out to me from the players. Again, I wanted to shout out the Indian crowds. It was a, an epic series yep. from them, but otherwise nothing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, the the other two sort of two, three awards, the first is Remember the Titans. Uh, look, I'm calling it Remember the Titans, but it's basically if you fast forward 40 years from now, do we talk about this series? So this series happened in 2001. We are recording. It's 2023. So that's 22 years later. I haven't forgotten much from this series. I would say... Let me add 40 years to my age. I'm 70 years old. I might have, you know, there might be grandkids or like I'm just in some nursing home talking to people. I think I would still be saying if you loved cricket, you know, people probably in 40 years time don't know what test cricket is. They only know 10-10 and 5-5. You know, they're watching. They've, they've only got the attention for five, for one hour of cricket. I think the 2001 series, I'd still be talking about it. Definitely. I still have the DVD and for me it was one of my most prized possessions that I had the the DVD of this series. I watched it so many times. So And I didn't mention it. I mean Hooksy, David Hooks. Hooksy. Well, uh, I could have mentioned him at the start, but I gotta give him a shout out. He was a great narrator. He was in India at the time, narrating sort of the ins and outs in, in between each sessions and giving an overview after each day. He is a low key I miss him because I know he passed away, but he was, I think he was a great, he was a very good cricket commentator. And I think one of the things was like, I don't recall him being on channel nine with like Ciappelli and all of them. So I don't think he was part of the channel nine. So I think that that was something that was just, it was a different voice and he was bringing a very different perspective. He wasn't pandering to the Australians in a way. Like I remember that you had some of the commentators just being really, really Aussie focus, but Hooksy was there and he was actually just commentating as a neutral and just, it was like a fan commentating. So you just had this really nice perspective of the series. Agree. Agree. And we didn't have it in Australia because we'd never hear from him in Australia. And you had, look, to be fair, Australian Channel 9 um, commentators back then were great. You had Bill Laurie, Tony Gregg, Mark Taylor slowly coming in. So but I think my view of Channel 9 commentary recently is, you know, affected by some, like just some of the trash commentators that came, you know, in recent years. But back then, I think Hooksy was great as a narrator. So I want to give him a shout out. Um, was there, Sid, a Don, a Don Award, an Apex performance? Now, for me, I think I can't go past two players. We've mentioned them throughout. You couldn't have the Border Gavaska series in 2001 without mentioning Budgie, Harbhajan Singh, and Matty Hayden. Budgie had 35 wickets in the series. Uh, and he in, only took four in the first in test. The, so he took four in the first test. So he's taken 31 of the 40 wickets in the last two tests. But even then, India took 50 wickets in the series and he took 35 of them, 70% of the wickets. 30, look, you are right. I'll give him 35. He, do, he do, took 32. Okay. But 28 wickets in last two tests. What is that? That's seven. 
That's seven wickets in innings. Yeah, seventy percent of the win, uh, wickets. It's just an That's incredible yeah. performance. Um, and you can't go past. Look, okay, Budgie was good. McGrath actually low key. 17 wickets at 15, but that's at not 15, his, apex. It's not his think, apex performance. But, but yeah, we're, he's bowling on Indian pitches. Indian pitches with no give whatsoever. Economy rate of like two or something like that. He had, he's just, he was a metronome. Um, and then I think apex performance with the bat. Sorry, I said Budgie and Hayden. I mean, we got to, Lakshman's got to be there too. Yep. But Hayden averaged... He he scored five. I think it was five hundred and fifty runs with the with the bat in three tests. Lakshman scored five hundred and three. The the best way I can describe this three test series is it was a three test series with stats that reflected a five test series. Yep, you're just saying five hundred runs. Like someone making five hundred runs in a three test series. Again, I'm just talking about the most recent Ashes. I think. The top scorer scored five fifty across the five tests. It was like Zach Crawley or yeah. something. Yeah, and um, you know, like I think he averaged like forty or yeah. forty with the bat or fifty with the bat. I'm sorry, it's fifty, but I think that no, that's a good point. Um, I think for an apex performance, I can't, I don't know if Lakshman played better in another series. Like he did score well in two thousand three, two thousand four. He did eventually score other centuries against Australia, but that. In that over that series, I think the Australian team realized it was very high. He was probably the most difficult batsman to get out. Hayden was as well, um, and Budgie. So they probably win those awards for I'll call it the Don Brad the the Don. Um, in Australia, we always say was it a Bradman esque innings? So we've got to give him credit. That's that means it's an apex performance. Um, I want to now go to I, I I mean have we missed anything, Sid? Have we? Have we done justice to the 2001 Border Gavaskas? Like, have we missed anything? I think you mentioned Hados. You mentioned how good he was with the bat. I think you forgot to mention his bowling. <laughs> so I think in the second test, in the second innings, where everyone on the Australian team had a bowl, except for Steve Waugh and Gilly, and which was a bit weird because Steve Waugh could bowl. But I just remember Hayden bowling, I think, two or three overs. There is a delivery that bounces at least three times. And to see Hayden, this broad-chested behemoth of a man. just He's a Queenslander. He's a Queenslander, a true blue Queenslander, just walking in off a few steps and bowling a delivery that Mark Howard would... Uh, John oh, Howard. John Howard. Howie? John Howard uh, would be proud of. Well, Howard's famous for his ball. Was it against the Pakistan? Yeah. Sort of like a homeless guy in uh, in a cricket. <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry. It might have been some famous person, but it's John Howard in, in Pakistan or Afghanistan or India. One of I think it was one in of those, Pakistan. Yeah, it's in Pakistan. You know, John Howard's a famous cricket. Like he's a famous cricket fan. Um, you, I don't think there's a prime minister for Australia that's been a bigger cricket fan. Maybe Bob Hawke, but John Howard. And his one claim to fame is he was given the ball, he tried to bowl a bit of military medium, and uh, the ball basically went off the pitch. If I could say, you know, in closing, it was a time in my life where I was, um, I had changed schools, and it was probably the perfect time to watch cricket. And it made an everlasting impression on me because it gave me belief and hope that even at times where you don't think you 
you know, where you see darkness and you, you don't think there's hope that you can still come through and Lakshman's innings and Budgie's performance really probably conveyed, you know, gave me a lot of self-belief. You know, it sounds cheesy, but it's it's true. Like sometimes sport can really motivate you. I think my one of my big memories, which I, I probably should have brought up before, was one of the reasons I loved going to your house so much back then was that you had a Nintendo 64 and we could play Smash Bros. And I just remember that- Smash Bros, Super Smash Brothers. Super for, Smash Brothers. Yep. Shout out. Um, the 64, the Nintendo 64 was just there. And like, I guess it just wasn't a thing that, hey, let's stop watching the cricket and play Nintendo 64. Yes, that is true, Sid. But um, you might remember it wasn't the school holidays, so I wasn't actually- uh, uh, I wasn't allowed to use an internet. It got 64. locked up in the cupboard during the. It did. It did. I had to stuff. study, even though I was watching six hours of cricket. But um, <laughs> no, I hope you. We try to do some justice to the 2001 series. Um, there may be things that we've forgotten, things that we've overlooked. But Sid, thank you for being my first guest. It was a very fun episode to do with you. It was amazing. Next week, um, we're going to be rehashing or reliving the 2000 Sydney Olympics. We're going to do a deep dive into that uh, because seriously, we would say it's the best Olympics um, of all time. I know other people will say other Olympics, but no, Sydney 2000 Olympics, who can forget it? So, I actually have a really good story about the 2000 Olympics. Well, you're going to have to tell the next time we're on. Yep. Um, And... Because I'll probably bring you on for a maybe maybe we'll do a rewatchables for this um, 2032 Brisbane Oof. Brisbane Olympics so that might have to Why be not the the Melbourne Commonwealth Games <laughs> that nobody was you had to pay people to watch um, but no I'll see you next time I'll see you next week same time please subscribe please download thank you. <laughs>